Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 26 through 28. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and described for them how on the road that he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and now, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went out among them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So after children's bells and children's choir, adult choir and adult bells, I'm not sure we really need a sermon, and I think Carrie already gave us one. Uh, To be honest with you, Carrie, that was just phenomenally heartfelt, and I thank you for that. Um, It also gave me this great pause to think how appreciative I am to be in a church that starts the Lord's Prayer out with y'all, followed by the word nativity. Um, So I am just thankful that I fit in here. I may even let the draw out a little bit if I want to. So no, so question for you, as maybe you hear that passage and the name's already been thrown out. Who is the most important character in the New Testament? Okay, besides Jesus, right? Okay, so we'll go to the, the seconds, right? Who's the second most important character in the New Testament to you? Paul, Mary. Okay, right, so Paul, Mary, Peter might have been thrown in there. Some people would wager Timothy as he took Paul's reign. Some people would say Mary Magdala as she bankrolled the whole thing. Um, But I'm going to make a different argument. I'm going to say that we don't have the New Testament unless it's for a guy named Barnabas. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Barnabas before. A lot of people have heard of Barnabas before. Not a lot of people have followed Barnabas through his uh, journey. So let let me just lay out an example or let me lay out an argument for why we might not have the New Testament if it weren't for Barnabas. So uh, first thing is there's a book, there's a letter in the back of the Bible, it's called Hebrews, and Hebrews is um, a letter that is written in a very high Grecian argument style. It is written to Jewish people, um, uh, it was, or it's written in a argument to Greek people from this Jewish high temple argument of Jesus being the high priest. So it's the understanding that Jesus fulfills the function of the high priest, but it's written to Greek people. Well, Tertullian was a church father uh, early on who made this argument for there's an extent with the epistle to the Hebrews under the name of Barnabas, a man sufficiently accredited by God and a companion is equal to Paul. What we know about uh, Barnabas's journey is that the, uh, he was called an apostle in scripture. We don't often see Barnabas's wa- picture on the wall of the 12 apostles, but in Acts 14, Barnabas is called an apostle, so he would, he would have the authority of an apostle as he's speaking and as he's writing 
And as we see in uh, a little bit farther in Acts 11, um, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And Antioch was a largely Grecian community. Uh, and they sent him to Antioch because this community of Greeks had heard the good news of Jesus, had fallen in love with this message from God, and decided that they were going to form their own little mini church up in Antioch. So the council in Jerusalem, the leaders send Barnabas up to Antioch so he can be in ministry with them. And so what we have is a person who, um, we have a person who is trained in temple Judaism, who grew up in that, who knows the message of Christ in that vein as the high priest who goes into a Grecian community. So the argument could be made that we've got one letter to the Hebrews written by Barnabas. Now, there is no definitive proof for that. Don't go to your next cocktail party and be like, so, did you know that the letter to the Hebrews was written by Barnabas? Because A, no one's going to talk to you after that. And B, it might not be true. But there's a really good argument for it. So, we're arguing that maybe, according to Tertullian, was right. That Barnabas wrote Hebrews. Now, the other thing that we, that we, um, that, that Allison introduced during children's time is Acts 11, 20. went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So this is after he's in Antioch, he gets up there and realizes this is a little too much for him. Later on, Paul would be described as Hermes by the Greek. He was the main messenger. He was the one who was smooth with the tongue. And Barnabas was described as Zeus, kind of the, the guy behind the guy, the guy behind the messenger. And so Barnabas... Uh, goes to Tarsus for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So that it was for an entire year they met with the church. And this is where they are called Christians for the first time. The Greek actually translates to little Christs. They are extensions. They are little Christs in the world who are doing Christ's work. What I'm pointing here is that without Barnabas, Paul never gets his start. Paul never gets the authority. Paul never gets the uh, audience with the council we see in Acts chapter 9 that we, that we uh, read in our scripture today, they were all afraid of Saul. And Allison didn't go into the gory details of why they were afraid of Saul, but let's just say he wasn't the most peaceful man to Christians. He was persecuting Christians. Everyone was afraid of him. Nobody was going to give him the time of day until Barnabas, who, who we learn in Acts chapter 4, we'll read in a little bit, his real name was Joseph. But they called him Barnabas because it means like son of encouragement or son of consolation. Somebody who is so affirming, someone who is so supportive that he can see into the heart of the Grinch. He can see into the heart of the persecutor and recognize what God has done in Saul's life. And so Paul doesn't get an audience, which means he doesn't get the authority, which means he doesn't have the credibility to write all the letters from Romans on that we know of as 52% of the New Testament. So without the, without the character of Barnabas, so far we don't get 53% of the New Testament as we are now. But as we go forward um, here, we learn in Colossians 4.10 that um, Mark, John Mark would be his proper name in Greek. So John Mark um, is the cousin of Barnabas. Now if the uh, name Mark rings a bell for you, um, if the name Mark rings a bell for you, besides being my brother's name, it is the Gospel according to Mark. Gospel according to Mark was written in 66 A.D. The Gospel of Matthew and Luke followed shortly after, around 70 to 80 A.D., which means that the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, if you read them closely with the Gospel of Mark, they borrow and copy a lot off of the Gospel of Mark. 
So when Paul and Barnabas are going out onto their various missionary journeys together, Barnabas grabs his cousin, John Mark, and says, hey, why don't you come with us? Why don't you see what all this is about? And, and eventually when Paul and Barnabas have a little bit of a dispute about who should come with them, Paul does not want Mark to come. He wants Silas to come. And so Paul ends up taking Silas, and they go on their way. Uh, Mark and Barnabas go on their way. And so Barnabas furthers Mark's spiritual discipleship and education and, and revelation even as to what God is doing in the world to where we get the gospel that would then provide us two other Gospels. So out of 27 books of the New Testament, that covers 17 of them because of Barnabas. And if there's any question about any of the other kind of authority that comes from there, in Acts chapter 4, when the early church is really getting started and kind of forming what they're going to be about, it says there was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold the field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So if Barnabas is directly tied to 17 out of the 27 other books of the New Testament, uh, of 20, 17 out of 27 books of the New Testament, we also know that Barnabas is one who really helped the early church get going that would inspire the other authors who would give us this wisdom and storytelling and example of what the early church was and, and what it was about. Barnabas was somebody who was so encouraging in his humility, so generous with who he was. He is part of this larger narrative in Acts chapter 2, chapter 4, that people are just selling fields of land to bankroll what the church is about. They're willing to give up what they have, to just be the guy behind the guy. Because they believe in it so strongly. This is just the story of many characters like Barnabas. Many people who formed this early church movement that believed in something, believed in, in someone so strongly that they didn't need to be at the center stage. They merely just wanted to be a part of what was going on. And we learned through history that most of the influential people in history. Most of the people who, who make what happens happen are not the people that get books written about them. Let me just do a history quiz real fast. Raise your hand if you know who Alan Shepard is. Raise your hand if you know who John Glenn is. Raise your hand if you know who Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin are. Okay, raise your hand if you know who Katherine Johnson is. Those of you who are raising your hands saw the movie Hidden Figures in 2016 or pay real close attention to who wins the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2015. Katherine Johnson was um, a, a woman who was black who worked in the mathematics department at NASA and did not get a whole lot of credit for everything that she did for about 59 years or so. And, and there's this story. So Katherine Johnson's job for Project Mercury, which was our first foray into space, National Pride Program, right? Uh, her job was to understand and develop and affirm the mathematics behind the telemetry, the, the flight track, the exit return, and launch zones. So there's a story in the movie, it's a true story, um, where John Glenn, this national hero, this figure that everybody's written about and, and wants to take pictures of, John Glenn is scheduled for his Mercury flight. He's going to be the first American to orbit the Earth. And there's a question 
about the efficacy of the launch window. And if you've ever followed any of these NASA stories, right, if you don't hit the launch window, something's going to go wrong. So there's an efficacy about the launch window, and they're trying to do all the complicated calculations, and they've got a whole team working on it, and, and people are coming to John Glenn and saying, are you comfortable, are you ready? And Glenn says, go ask her. All right, the movie, it names Katherine Johnson, but it, it really she said, go ask her, because John Glenn trusted Katherine Johnson so much that amongst a team of the smartest people that the country has to offer, he picks out Katherine Johnson and says, I need her assurance that this is all going to go well. And nobody knew her name from, from 1961 to 2015, to 2016 really, when Disney popularized. And, and still most of y'all didn't raise your hand. There are so many people that make that launch work. In fact, she was actually also involved, if you recognize the names Neil Armstrong and Michael Collins, the lunar excursion module that did land on the moon and then had to rendezvous back with the command module so they could actually get home. Katherine Johnson was in charge of the mathematics to figure out the flight path to rally the heroes back home so they could have the ticker tape parade. There are so many people that you've never heard of who make this world work. There are so many people who direct children's bells and children's choir and adult bells and adult choir. There are so many people who set up the altar. There are so many people who run the media. There are so many people whose names you will never, never know. And here's the thing. We should recognize Katherine Johnson. We should lift up Barnabas. We should totally talk about Andrea Stout and how wonderful she is at running media or Mike Steine or Lisa Witherington. We should totally mention these names. But there's also one of my favorite quotes of all time is by Harry Truman. There is no end to what we can accomplish if no one cared who got the credit. I'm saying this as somebody, if you're familiar with the Enneagram language, Molly led a class on Enneagram with a few different classes. If you're familiar with Enneagram language, I am an Enneagram 3 to the utmost degree that you can be an Enneagram 3. An Enneagram 3 thrives off of trophies, achievements, gold stars, pats on the back, handshakes, compliments. Basically, I need to win at all things. I need recognition for winning at all things. It's something about my DNA is that I want you to tell me great job after everything that I do. Right? So now when I line up in the back, everyone's going to come through and give me, like, great job, David. This is awesome. And be like, this is the most inauthentic Sunday ever. Right? Part of my spiritual journey is being okay fading into the background. Part of my spiritual journey is that when I do line up on the back, when I do check social media after worship, when I do go home, no one needs to tell me, hey, you did a great job. Because my spiritual journey is progressing into where I don't want this to be a performance on Sunday when we're up here singing and we're up here worshiping or we're up here preaching. I don't want this to be a performance that we get complimented on. I want this to be a transformative experience to where you are uh, in awe of what God has provided this morning. I want this to be a transformative experience where God shines through all of us and we all have this amazing transformative experience of encouragement to where we just can't wait to go out and burst and tell somebody else about the good news that Jesus brings to our lives, the, the peace that comes from being freed from the need for achievement, freed from the need for approval from our peers. In fact, I don't think that coming to church 
is all about getting the approval of our peers and our colleagues. I think what we get out of church is not personal satisfaction. What we get out of church is a community that reminds us of what God told us before anybody else said anything. When God gave us the breath of life and said, you are mine. When God gave us the animated experience of life, of choice, and said, I trust you. When God sent Jesus into our lives and said, I love you. While we were yet sinners, God expressed God's love for us. And that God took on flesh and walked amongst us. God blessed each person, the Marthas who were insanely busy in making everything happen, and the Marys, who simply washed somebody's feet. The Pauls who exclaim, and we can credit so many church foundings and books of the New Testament and so many heroic stories to Paul. And the Barnabas, who's the guy behind the guy. What I want us to take out of this is that the early church was a community formation. It was not after personal achievement or personal notoriety. It was not after personal salvation. It was after, uh, the, it was after the expression of the gospel to the world so that all people might come to know and be set free from the pride that they may carry with them and only find pride in the way that God tells them about themselves. To be set free from the need to achieve and to stand out so that they can simply be at peace with who God tells them that they are. But I'll tell you what the early church did well is they cultivated all these people who were okay being the woman behind the woman, the guy behind the guy. They cultivated all these people who bought into the bigger goal, who are willing to sell fields for the bigger goal of Christ's mission through the church. But I'll tell you what they did well is they made every single one of those people feel incredibly important. Because they helped every single one of those people to understand and to experience the awe and wonder of how much God loved them. By the way, they loved each other. The gospel is something that humbles the proud and uplifts the downtrodden where we all get to journey together with our own choice to journey together to one goal of holiness and love. There is someone you know, someone you know that needs a pat on the back because nobody has recognized them in 70 years of Christian service and you need to tell them thank you. And you need to tell them thank you because you might be the person whom everybody pats on the back and says, this place would never run without you. This world would never exist without you. You might be that person. Therefore, you need to be the one to tell the guy behind the guy, the woman behind the woman, thank you. Thank you for the years of service to our Christian community. Because everybody's got a gift. Some just don't get recognized as much as others. Let's pray.
Gracious God, for the gifts that we do not see, for the gifts that we do not recognize because they're not on stage, for the people we have missed in our lives, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts so that we might listen to the voiceless, we might see the invisible, we might know Barnabas' name amongst us. And Lord, keep us humble. Keep us humble in the knowledge that your love is enough and your love as expressed in a community is perfect. Help us to love each other so fervently that we need not seek affirmation in our riches. We need not seek affirmation in our social media posts. We need not seek affirmation by begging for it. Help us to love each other so fervently, God, that we can be a supporting cast together, recognizing the gift we bring and the goal we seek. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and sing. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.